This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Rowell ball right side into the shift to his left out. Tumay has it in short right, throws the first, and the Astros are 2017 World Series champions. For the first time ever, the Astros are baseball's best. Hey, welcome back in. Episode number 133 of Play by Play Cast. Thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download, the rating, or review. If you get a second to throw some stars or a comment our way on whichever platform you're listening to this podcast, we always appreciate it. My name is, of course, Joel Godet. This is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. Professional development podcast that dives into the chips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Our guest this week on episode 133 is the voice of the Houston Astros on the radio Robert Ford joins us. Uh, before we get into that, uh, first off, like Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, um, Kwanzaa has officially started, uh, Happy New Year. This is the final edition of this podcast for 2018, so I hope the year has been great for all of you guys and the holidays were great for all of you guys. Uh, those that had broadcasts to attend to, those that haven't, I uh, hope you enjoyed the time off. Got the chance to unplug this week. Like I just... I mean, I've done some prep because I've got a broadcast tomorrow, if you're listening to this on time, and then I've got another one on Sunday, and then, like, we're full swing of things uh, once 2019 starts, but just a good chance to, to step away. Good little refresh over the last couple of days. It feels good when you're in the thick of things, so I uh, hope you guys have all enjoyed uh, that time if you have had it as well. Uh, if you have not heard the conversation from last week, Rafael Hernandez-Brito do go back and listen to that one, too. Uh, different conversation than we've ever had before on this podcast in that it's the first uh, Spanish-language episode of the pod. Not that it's in Spanish. I don't speak that, so it'd be like kind of one-sided and odd. Uh, but, but, but Rafa uh, is the first Spanish-language broadcast we've had on the podcast. Spanish voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers and uh, the Cleveland Browns and the World Series and Super Bowls of years past and the Final Four. And uh, he is one of the preeminent Hispanic radio play-by-play voices in this country. If you have not heard that conversation, what it's like to be in his shoes and what it's like to have grown up in war-torn El Salvador, uh, do go back and listen. Um, I'm better for having done that one, and uh, I, I, hopefully you guys will be better for having uh, listened to that one as well. So go uh, take a listen back to uh, last week's episode with Rafa. This week's episode, though, we turn our attention to baseball in the offseason. Get a chance to catch up with some guys. And Robert Ford is a guy that just took a good approach and and got better every day and climbed his way up the minor leagues and to the major league level where he didn't do play-by-play right away. And that was hard, but it situated him in the right spot where eventually he replaces Milo Hamilton um, as the voice of the Houston Astros several seasons ago. I won't steal his thunder. He will guide you on his whole climb up through the baseball ranks. But where we start with Robert Ford is at the beginning of it all. 
when he went to Syracuse, and before you, like, hit stop and go, oh, another one of these guys, uh, his path is different. It's not the prototypical, he showed up at W8ER, and everybody from Bob Costas to Marv Albert to Ian Eagle to Jason Benetti to Kevin Brown to Mike Cousins to, to anyone else we've had on this podcast, that same story. His path is a little divergent. So that is where we start this week on the 133rd episode of Play by Playcast with the voice of the Houston Astros, Robert Ford. Well, you know what's funny? So with WAER, uh, obviously you having a, a, a station that's more or less student-run uh, you know, has, has springboarded a, a lot of people, but it did not springboard me. Uh, when I got to Syracuse, I knew, you know, I was a broadcast journalism major. I knew I wanted to do something in sports, particularly baseball, since that was my favorite sport. But initially I thought I wanted to be more like a, a sports anchor, sports reporter. Uh, and so that was kind of my focus initially. And then uh, latter part of my sophomore year is when I realized that uh, you know, play-by-play was something that interested me uh, more than that. At that point, you know, WAER is a great station in part because it's so competitive. And if you want to do play-by-play at WAER, you pretty much have to walk in the door first day freshman year yeah. and say, I want to do play-by-play and kind of get on that track. Uh, and I, I didn't do that. So I knew that really wasn't an option for me. So, you know, there's another student station, uh, Z89, which is an FM station that I used to do sports updates on, uh, you know, wound up doing some work with the minor league hockey team in Syracuse on their radio broadcast my senior year and, and just just kind of figured it out. But um, as for people who were in school with me, uh, Carter Blackburn, who's gone on to have a really nice career uh, with doing doing stuff for for CBS and and, and other networks, uh, he was he and I were, were in the same class. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Um, Kevin Cooper, who was the the head of the head PR director for the Houston Texans for a number of years, who I still keep in touch with. He um, he was my year as well. Damon Amendolara, who's had a nice nice career in, in sports talk, also my year. Andrew Catalan, who's been doing a lot of play by play. I know he does. He gets some football games on uh, some NFL games uh, from time to time. He was also my year. So those are the those are the people at least that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, who who came out of Syracuse same year I did. So uh, I, I'll, I'll relate to that a little bit, too, because I was actually, and I think I've told this story on the podcast before, I was actually cut from WAER like the third day of college. Um, <laughs> wow. So, so I went to Z89, and that's where I started my play-by-play uh, and eventually wound up back across campus. But like that was my first couple semesters and couple of years there was doing high school football and, and women's hoops and, and women's lacrosse and and such at uh, at WJPZ um, what on your side made you say two years into college you know what like I think I want to do play-by-play you know I think it was probably something that was always in the back of my mind but there were just so many things I was interested in and I was just still trying to figure out what what I wanted to do uh, in sports and, and in, in journalism, you know, I, I started off in high school getting the journalism bug from, uh, I had a, a sophomore year global studies teacher. Her name was Mrs. Goodman. And, uh, she assigned us about a, a paper every couple of weeks, which, you know, in high school, I thought this was, 
a, a work pace that was unprecedented in the history of scholarship. <laughs> and, but, and I mean, they were, you know, they weren't particularly long papers. They were like four or five page papers, but we had to do, it was basically one every couple of weeks. And I remember my sophomore year of high school was when the, the big baseball strike was going on 94, 95, of course, wiped out the 94 world series and, and all the 94 postseason and uh, 95 season started a, about a month late because of it. And, we had a paper in that class about current events. So of course I wrote about the baseball strike and uh, I wish I still had that paper somewhere and, you know, basically, you know, solved all the world's problems or at least all <laughs> of baseball's problems in that paper. And I remember after getting that paper back and I got an A on it, uh, Mrs. Goodman pulled me aside and she told me, um, you know, you're a really good writer. Uh, and that was the first time anyone had ever told me that. And she said, you should write for the high school paper because most of the people who write for the high school paper can't really write, but you can really write. So I thought to myself, well, the, the high school newspaper at Bronx High School of Science in New York City, they have a sports section. I like sports. So maybe I could write about sports for the high school paper. So I approached the sports editor and that's how I got started in journalism and, and just kind of got interested in, in journalism from there. And then when I was looking at colleges, I thought broadcast journalism sounded more interesting to me than print journalism did. So that's what I, I really decided to pursue. Um, so I was still, you know, you have a lot of kids, especially now who a lot of high schools have opportunities for, for kids to get on air, uh, whether in, in, in school or even externally, but that, you know, that really wasn't a thing, certainly not at my high school. And I think probably really wasn't as big of a thing back then. I mean, I graduated from high school in 1997. Um, so that, that really wasn't an option. So I came to Syracuse, I think like a lot of people did at that time, you know, knowing that I wanted to do something in, in journalism, but not really a hundred percent sure what, and then after taking some classes and just kind of getting a feel for, for the major and, and just kind of figuring things out uh, is when I, I really feel, felt like I really realized that play-by-play uh, -play was, was more interesting to me than anything else uh, broadcast journalism related. Why? What about it? Well, I, you know, growing up, I think, you know, it's funny when you think back to your, your life and, and how you wound up certain places so the the first thing I ever wanted to be when I grew up was a subway conductor on the New York City subway. And the reason was, you know, I grew up riding the subways, grew up in the Bronx, grew up riding the subways everywhere. My mom didn't have a car, uh, didn't even have a license, a driver's license until, you know, I was in, in, in middle school, didn't have a car until I was in high school. Uh, so, you know, the subway was the way to go. And um you know, I always knew I was able to read a subway map from a very young age. I always knew where all the trains went. And uh, subway conductor, they announced the stops. And so I thought, well, what better job could you possibly have <laughs> than being a New York City subway conductor? You announce the stops. I already know where all the trains go. And you get to open and close the doors. So, I mean, what could possibly be better than that? Uh, and sometimes I'd sit on the train with my mom and I would announce the stops like I was a subway conductor to the rest of the people in the subway car. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't have stage fright. So that was a good thing. Uh, and then growing up, you know, when I, when I really started to get into to sports, baseball was the first sport that, that really interested me. 
And my dad and I, you know, my, I grew up in a family of Mets fans, even though I grew up in the Bronx, you know, my parents both grew up in Queens and, you know, my family, they're all Mets fans. And we're talking late eighties, early nineties here when the Mets were one of the best teams in baseball, of course, you know, won the world series in 1986, went back to the playoffs in 88. Uh, and so I kind of latched on to the Mets. Daryl Strawberry was my, my, my favorite player. And, um, you know, my dad and I, we would watch a lot of games together. Uh, my parents were divorced and I, you know, I'd spend weekends with my dad and we'd watch Mets games and we would obviously talk baseball while watching the games and talk about the Mets, but we would also talk about the broadcasters and the broadcasting. And at the time, the Mets main television broadcasters on WWOR channel nine in New York were uh, Tim McCarver and Ralph Kiner. And, uh, you know, we would talk about the things they were talking about. And Tim McCarver, he was really one of the first broadcasters to do what's known as first guessing, where instead of, you know, second guessing managerial decisions or decisions by players, you try to predict what's going to happen or, or predict what should happen. And so we would do the same thing. So we'd sit there and we would talk about, you know, strategy and, you know, who might be coming into the game out of the bullpen and who's available on the bench to pinch hit. And, well, there's a there's a left-handed pitcher warming up, so, they you know, they can use this right-handed pinch hit, things like that. So we were already talking strategy, and we were already talking about the broadcast and the broadcasters. And so I think that kind of planted the seed of, you know, being interested in baseball, obviously, and being interested in baseball on more than just a surface level. And I think it planted the seed for me that, you know, this this play-by-play -play thing is really interesting. I mean, you get to sit there and you get to talk about baseball, you know, for three or four hours every night. And I think that that really fascinated me. And then when I got to college and started, you know, sports anchoring, sports reporting, just, you know, didn't really have the same buzz to me. You're, you're kind of talking about things after they happen, where play-by-play, -play, you're talking about things as they happen. Uh, instead of going back in time, you're, you're, you're talking about what's going on as it's happening. And and I think that aspect of it really appealed to me as well. And it was always baseball. It seems like it, when you when you I guess when you made that conscious decision, it was I'm, I want to be a baseball announcer more so than just a play by play announcer. Yeah, I wanted to do other sports, too. I mean, baseball's always been my number one sport. That was the first sport I really got interested in. Uh, but I, I was also, you know, I grew up a huge basketball fan. You know, when I was uh, in high school was when the, the Knicks had those those really good teams, including the one in 94 that that loss to the Houston Rockets and that, and that great NBA finals that went seven games. Uh, so I was, I was really into the NBA at that time. And then obviously going to Syracuse, I got more into college basketball and particularly Syracuse. And I'm, I'm still a big Syracuse basketball fan to this day. Um, and so basketball was, was definitely on my radar. I was, I was a big uh, football fan as well, more so NFL, a big New York giants fan still am a big New York giants fan. Uh, and obviously going to Syracuse also, that, that was when Syracuse had some really good football teams. I was there for the last two years of Donovan McNabb and, uh, you know, Keith Bullock, who played in the NFL for a long time, was was in school when I was there. They had a bunch of different first round picks to Bucky Jones, who played for the Patriots for a number of years, played at Syracuse when I was there. So had some had some really good football teams uh, at Syracuse as well that I, I really got into. So. I was interested in other sports, but baseball was always number one. That was always my favorite. And really, when I when I look back on my career, pretty much every move I've made has been dictated by baseball. I've done other sports over the years, but baseball has always been number one for me and has always been what's dictated everything else that I've done. 
How long were you in the minor leagues once you got into it, too? Seven years. Uh, my first year in the Northwest League in Yakima, Washington for the Yakima Bears. Uh, two years in independent ball in the Frontier League, Kalamazoo, Michigan, Kalamazoo Kings. And then uh, four years in Binghamton, New York, uh, Binghamton Mets. Take me back to those years, too. And I guess when you're when you're in it, um, how long did those seven years feel? And, and I guess how did you use those uh, and, and how did you get better over that span? Well, you know, it's interesting, kind of the evolution, at least for me. Uh, so, you know, I got my first job, Yakima, Washington, 2002, 76 games in 80 days by myself. So it was basically baptism by fire. But I, I mean, I loved it. And I, I literally, you know, you always hear people say, uh, try to spend every day trying to get better. But I don't think most people do that. Uh, and that's something that I tell whenever I talk to young broadcasters. That's something I always tell them, especially when it's their first job. Every day, try to figure out a way to get better. And my first year in Yakima, that's exactly what I was doing. Part of it was because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Uh, we had a 15-minute pregame show. Uh, and I remember before the first game trying to figure out how the heck am I going to fill a 15-minute pregame show. I had no idea. I had no concept of how, how, that, how that worked. Um, and so I had to, I had to figure it out. And so every day, I mean, literally every day I was tweaking how I prepared. I was tweaking things I did on the air. I was just, I was just trying whatever I could to just get better and just kind of figure out, uh, what, what made the most sense. So that was my first year. And then I got a job in Kalamazoo, Michigan, working for a radio station group that carried the minor league baseball team in town and, it initially was just to do baseball and they wound up hiring me full time to do news anchoring and reporting in the broadcast small college and, and, and high school football and basketball. But my I remember when I got to Kalamazoo, my thought was, all right, so now this is going to be my second team in two years. I need to stay here at least two years just so that it doesn't seem like every year I'm changing teams. So I kind of went into it thinking, all right, I want to do this for two years and uh, in Kalamazoo. And I remember at the time, you know, the, uh, you know, management with the radio station and also, you know, the, the Bill Lee, who still is the Frontier League commissioner, someone I still keep in touch with. They were very complimentary of my broadcast and they were like, you know, you're, you're really good. You have a chance to really advance in this business and, you know, got really positive feedback uh, from from a lot of people when I was in Kalamazoo. And even after my first year, I remember the league commissioner telling me, he's like, you should, you should be a double A next year. You're good enough to be a double A. But I, I remember not really applying to any jobs that off season because I wanted to stay a second year. So I did. And then after my second year is when I got the job in Binghamton. And so when I was in Binghamton, uh, you know, I was there for four years and a couple of years in, uh, I was like, well, I need to figure out what I need to do to get to the, to give myself a chance to, to get a, a big league broadcasting job. And so I sent uh, demo CDs to almost every single director of broadcasting for a major league baseball team. I had all the, the media guides uh, for all the major league teams, and I just looked up whoever was in charge of broadcasting, and I sent them my demo. And I sent it with my resume and also with a letter basically saying, um, you know, I'm you know, I'm, I'm a minor league broadcaster and I'm looking to get to the major leagues. And, you know, if you ever have a need for a fill-in broadcaster, I would, I would certainly love to 
to to do that. And uh, you know, any feedback you could give me on my CD would be appreciated. So most of the teams did not reply, or they sent some boilerplate form letter, basically saying, you know, we have no openings. Uh, but there were a handful of teams that I heard from. Uh, the two that really stand out were uh, Sue Rayson, who has since passed away. She was a director of broadcasting for the Miami Marlins, well, then the Florida Marlins. And she was very helpful. I was on the phone with her and emailed with her several times. Uh, and her big her big thing was basically, you know, I think you're on the right track. You just You just need reps. You just sound like somebody who just doesn't have a whole lot of experience yet. And the other person who really stood out was a guy by the name of Rob Brooks. And Rob is still the director of broadcasting for the Philadelphia Phillies. And Rob, I'll never forget, I was, um, it was uh, Valentine's Day weekend, uh, and I was in Syracuse an hour away from Binghamton with my, my girlfriend at the time, and we were like going to have like a romantic weekend at Syracuse. Like we, we had gotten a hotel room and, and the whole thing. And right when we got to the hotel, my phone rang, and it was Rob Brooks, and we spent about an hour and a half on the phone with Rob basically breaking down my demo and giving me some advice that I still use to this day for play-by-play. -play. Uh, and so by sending out all those demo CDs, that really helped. You know, even though it was really just two people who got back to me, I mean, that I still had more insight from doing that exercise than I would have had otherwise when you're just kind of in the minor leagues just trying to figure out well, you know, are you any good? Like is, you know, am I, am I wasting my time trying to advance or is this something that, that is, that is worth pursuing at a, at a higher level than I'm at right now. And by getting that feedback that, that helped tremendously and let me know, all right, this is, this is a worthy pursuit. This is something that, you know, getting to the major leagues is, is a possibility for me. Well, and there's something to be said for just sending the letter that says like, Hey, can you listen to this and let me know what you think? Cause I, I want to get better as opposed to, and I know you said, like, if you need fill-in work, but that's different than just applying for a job that doesn't exist and hoping you hear back kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think it definitely helps uh, a lot in terms of just, you know, just getting my CD out there, too, and just getting, you know, just getting somebody to listen. Uh, the other thing you said that I thought was interesting was the fact that you made the conscious choice to stay two years in Kalamazoo, even when you were told, like, you could be in AA next year. Um how did you, because patience is something that I feel like a lot of us in this industry don't have, um, a lot of times myself included, um, where you always feel like you want to find what, you know, like, we all want to get to the destination without experiencing the journey. Um, how did you have patience in that moment to, to see the bigger picture? Well, I think one thing, well, there were a few things that helped. Uh, one of them was I really enjoyed being in Kalamazoo at the time. Uh, I was, you know, I was 24 years old that first year I was there in 2003. Uh, it's, you know, it's a great town to be a young person, you know, Western Michigan University, big state school is there. So, and there are a lot of young, you know, younger people there my age. So, you know, I, I didn't have any problem finding dates. So that was always a plus, <laughs> right? Uh, especially when you're that age. Um, and I, I, you know, Kalamazoo is a pretty good town for, for what si the size that it is. It's not very big, but it has a lot going on. You're, you're two hours from Detroit, you're two hours from Chicago. It's actually a, a pretty good spot. So the, there was that. There was also the fact that um, I, I got a great opportunity there. Uh, I came to Kalamazoo. I had never called any sport other than baseball uh, 
and a handful of high school football games uh, done play-by-play on the air and gotten paid to do it. When I got to Kalamazoo, I got, you know, they hired me for baseball. They wound up hiring me full-time, and they gave me an opportunity. They were like, all right, you're the play-by-play guy. There was a high school in town, Kalamazoo Christian High School. They're right, all right, you're the play-by-play guy for Kalamazoo Christian High School football and basketball. So I got a chance to to call football and basketball and get reps. Um, and I knew if I stayed another year, I'd, I'd get even more opportunities to, to do more games. And I thought that was going to be really helpful to me. Um, and I also got a chance, you know, they also carried the games for Kalamazoo College Division Three school. And I was the color commentator on those football and basketball games. But I did get to do some play by play. I'd fill in uh, when the program director uh, who did the games uh, was was unavailable for whatever reason. I would get to do play by play on those games uh, for Kalamazoo College, uh, and then so there was that. And then there was also it was the radio station group. It was Fairfield Broadcasting at the time. It was a locally owned company. Uh, the the president of Fairfield Broadcasting still showed up every single day in his office. He was a big fan of mine and a big advocate of mine and. I really enjoyed working there. It was a good company to work for. It's, you know, they, they've since been bought out and, and all that and, and are part of a, a bigger radio station group now. But it was it was a really good place to work uh, with a lot of great people. And so I think that also made the decision easier to, to stick around for a second year. You know, we talk a lot about the play-by-play aspect of all of this, too, and why you've chased play-by-play up to this point um and on this podcast we've had the debate about like do you go somewhere and just do play-by-play or do you put yourself in a bigger place that opens up different types of doors for you um so when all of that is said and done kind of walk me through uh the decision for you to say like why why going to kansas city when you went to kansas city was the right move for you and obviously it works out um but but how you basically said you know what i'm okay if i do something that is not play-by-play to ultimately get me to where I want to be? Well, I think I got to a point in Binghamton. Like I said, I, you know, I, I communicated with directors of broadcasting, sent my demos in, gotten some feedback, uh, you know, was, was hearing not just from those directors of broadcasting, but from, from other people that, you know, I was, I was really talented, good broadcaster. Uh, I was also doing Binghamton University women's basketball on the radio there and filling in on some on some men's basketball and, you know, got some great opportunities, but I was still seasonal and I still wasn't making a whole lot of money. And I was substitute teaching uh, during the baseball off season, working it around my college basketball schedule. Uh, I was also uh, refereeing high school basketball, which I really enjoyed and actually would continue to do if I, if I really had the time to do it. Uh, And I was also, um, you know, doing uh, some, I was also did, did some high school play, play by play, some high school basketball, high school football, play by play, just anything to, to just have a few dollars in my pocket. And I was enjoying everything that I was doing. I was enjoying being on the air. I was enjoying calling games, whether it was baseball, basketball, or football, regardless of what level it was. But I just felt like I was in a bit of a rut and, you know, I was getting into my late twenties I was, you know, in a, in Binghamton, New York, not making great money and I was getting frustrated. And I think that the Kansas city opportunity came along at the right time. I mentioned the program director in Kalamazoo who I did Kalamazoo college basketball with and football with his name is Ryan McGuire and Ryan McGuire 
uh, also hosted a talk show, a sports talk show for the sports station in Kalamazoo. He wound up leaving there probably about a, a few months after I did and became a program director in Ann Arbor and then wound up in Milwaukee as a, as a program director, not on air. And, um, you know, we would keep in touch and I remember calling him and he was about to take the job in Kansas city as a program director for the Royals flagship station. And I had called him because I had seen a job at the station that he worked at in Milwaukee. Um, and it was for doing, um, I think it was some brewers, Milwaukee brewers, maybe pre and post stuff or, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was basically like a, a radio reporter, sports reporter sort of job. And I just wanted to pick his brain about it. And I remember he said to me, well, why do you want to apply for that job? And so I basically told him, you know, I feel like I'm in a bit of a rut and I feel like maybe getting to a market with a major league baseball team might help me get a play by play job, get into a market, get visible, work my way up in that market. Uh, might be a good path for me to to get a, a major league play by play job. So I I said all of this to him, and he said, "Well, you know, um, I'm about to become program director for this station in Kansas City. I think I might have something for you because we're going to need to hire a uh, Royals pre and post game host because that station uh, they had become the Royals flagship the year before." And they didn't really have a dedicated uh, pre and post person. And it was a sort of situation where they didn't really have a true nuts and bolts baseball person on staff. Uh, you know, they're, you know, people who certainly were, they had certainly sports talk hosts who were interested in baseball. And, and obviously, you know, you're a sports talk host in Kansas city. You're going to have to follow the Royals to a certain extent, but the Royals weren't very good and they hadn't been very good for a very long time. You know, it had been at that point about uh, 20 years since they had been really relevant at all. And so uh, actually even more than 20 years at that point. So there wasn't a whole, you know, the Royals just didn't move the meter. You know, it's like a lot of sports talk stations, you know, NFL is king. And even though the chiefs certainly were not exactly stellar at that time, that's where the ratings were. And that's what people wanted to hear and that's what the hosts talked about and you can't really blame them for that uh and i think ryan felt like they needed a, a true baseball person to hand handle the the royals on a day in day out basis for a team that everybody knew was going to be bad and uh that's when it's really hard to cover baseballs when the team's not very good uh, especially when you're talking about a post-game call-in show so Ryan wound up hiring me in Kansas City. He is still the only person on this planet who has hired me twice. Uh, so you can question his judgment or praise his judgment, depending on your perspective. And um, I, I didn't know anything about sports talk radio. And I remember a couple of weeks in, Ryan sending me a long email, basically telling me, this is how you need to structure your show. This is what you need to be doing, which is extremely helpful and helped me get my footing. Uh, but you know, I, I was just a guy who knew baseball, didn't really know sports talk radio at the time, but learned a lot more about it and, and kind of varied my skill set. And, uh, in the meantime, when I was doing that, I would still do play by play demos into a recorder in an empty, uh, broadcast booth at Kauffman stadium in Kansas city, just so I'd always have something to send 
for any major league jobs or any play-by-play jobs that I was interested in that came open. And it was one of those demos that I used to, to get the Astros job. How do you, oh, I mean, that's part of the answer, but how do you, how do you take that experience and that opportunity and then parlay it into getting back into play-by-play? And I guess what, how did being in that market and working around a team suit you to be somebody that the Astros say, this guy A is really good at play-by-play, but is somebody that's also been around as opposed to if you had sent them a B-Mets demo, if you had stayed in Binghamton? Well, I think, first of all, it was really tough to not do baseball play-by-play because there would be times, especially those first couple of years doing covering the Royals, where I would sit and watch the game and I was at all the home games, the road games I would um, watch at the radio station and then do the, the post-game show from the radio station. Uh, but I would sit at those games at Kauffman Stadium and I would see things, whether it was a pitch sequence, whether uh, it was just something I noticed in the game that, that players were doing. And I would be thinking, man, I really wish I was on the air right now because I would be talking about X, Y, and Z. And it was frustrating. And I think one thing that helped keep my sanity was I still did play-by-play, just didn't do baseball. I wound up doing some you know, some high school sports. I, I wound up for three years doing uh, University of Nebraska-Omaha uh, basketball. Uh, Omaha is about three hours from Kansas City, so I'd drive up there for the games and then drive to the road games on my own. And they were Division Two, and then transitioning to Division One when I was there. So that helped, but I was still doing play-by-play even though I wasn't doing baseball. But being... A Royals reporter, I think it helped give me the perspective of what it's like to cover a major league team and to be around a major league team on a daily basis, because that was just something I didn't know and something I didn't have any experience with. So I think I was able to make, you know, some of the mistakes and work out some of the bugs in that regard. So by the time, you know, the Astros came calling, I had an idea of what it was like to be around a major league team every day and, and, and had an idea of what to expect. And I think that more than anything is what helped me in terms of with the Astros job in terms of what the Astros are looking for and whether they would have hired me without that experience. You know, I don't know because I think that it was more for me than it was for them that I got to do that stuff in Kansas city. I think it really came down to, for the Astros, it came down to them for them. It came down to the demo and, you know, a couple of people liked what they heard and, and kind of got moved up the food chain. And it also helped that the Astros at the time were not very good And um, they knew that they weren't going to be good for at least another couple of years. And I think the Astros felt like they could take a chance on a broadcaster who did not have uh, any uh, Major League Baseball play-by-play experience. So, you know, the timing was certainly a part of it. Uh, And also, too, I should also mention one thing I did when I was in Kansas City, and it's something that I always advise young broadcasters to do because no one will know what your career goals are and what your aspirations are unless – You tell them and you don't want to do it in a pushy way and make it seem like you just have blinders on and, you know, you only you only care about that one thing. But you want to let people know that, hey, play by play is what I want to do. And I want to do I want to be a major league baseball play by play broadcaster. And the Royals at the time and still actually to this day, their um, VP of communications and broadcasting is a guy by the name of Mike Swanson, who everybody calls Swanee. And Swanee's been around a very long time, has worked for a few teams. Uh, and he's in charge of the, the broadcasting for the Royals. And I remember once I got comfortable enough around him and had been around the team for a couple of months or so or three months, I mentioned to Swanee that, you know, play by play was something I, you know, I had experience in and, you know, that's something I wanted to do at the major league level. 
and I asked him if he would listen to a demo of some of my stuff from Binghamton. And he said, yeah, I'd be more than happy to. And so I gave it to him. And um, maybe a couple of weeks later, um, he said to me, it's not a matter of if you're going to be a major league broadcaster, it's a matter of when. And he's like, I, you know, I really liked your demo. And I think, you, you know, he, he gave me some really, really positive feedback. And, you know, I would talk to him every off season about, you know, possible major league openings and what he knew and, and that sort of thing. And when I told him I was interviewing with the Astros, he said, um, you know, he'd, he'd call them and put in a good word for me and, and was extremely helpful, but none of that happens if I don't make it clear that, Hey, play by play is something I want to do because otherwise people are just going to assume, Oh, well, this guy, he just wants to do Royals free and post the rest of his life or sports talk radio. And that, yeah. that wasn't the case. So you have to, you have to let people know this is what you want to do. What, um, what makes good baseball play by play, um, to you then what, and I guess I can, you can tackle that from two different ways. Uh, uh, what is it that, um, from the purest standpoint, maybe it's the same thing. Um, but what is it like when you look at it and say, this is great baseball play by play, um, on one hand. And what is it that maybe you find sits better with like those in hiring positions, things that, that they want to hear first and foremost? Well, I think there, there are two major components to play by play in general, not just baseball. I think you have to be descriptive when we're talking on radio and you have to be entertaining. And now those two things are, are rather broad. So they, they encompass a lot of different things. And when I say descriptive, I'm not just talking about t- describing exactly what's happening on the field to the listener who's not watching the game. But I think it also comes down to timely statistics and backgrounds of players and you know, being able to, to be a storyteller, whether it's a, the story of a particular player or a particular team or a particular coach or manager. Uh, I think that's all part of being descriptive and painting the picture uh, because you, you want people to care about what's happening. And why should I care about the second baseman for this team? Uh, and you need to you need to give reasons why. So he's coming up here with the bases loaded, and well, he's hitting 450 with the bases loaded this year with two grand slams. All right, now I have a reason to care about this guy and care about this situation, why this is so important. Uh, and and so I think that that all comes with with description. The entertaining part I think is the tough part, and I think that's the part that most broadcasters struggle with, even when they're pretty far along in their career. Uh, and I think it, it comes down to figuring out what suits you best. You know, there's some people out there that are, are really bombastic and are, are, are really maybe over the top is the wrong word, but certainly uh, very emotive and maybe in some cases even pr- very loud vocally. And that works for them because that's what their personality is. But there are a lot of people like that's not that's not my personality. So. I have to be entertaining in different ways. And I think that's where the storytelling aspect comes into play. That's where having being really descriptive comes into play and just kind of being yourself. And I think one thing that really helps in baseball is you, you in major league baseball, anyway, you always have a, a partner and, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I have a really great broadcast partner in Steve Sparks and we can play off of each other. And I think by doing that, both of our personalities come out even more, you know, Steve, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a, a, he's a bit of a class clown type, but he's also, 
he pays he pays attention. He he understands the advanced metrics. He can break down a, a game about as as well as anybody I've ever been around. Uh, so you know we can get really serious together. We can be slapstick together. We can be funny together, depending on what the situation calls for. And the, you know, so the entertainment factor I think is there in part because of the interaction that he and I have with each other. But I think it comes down to figuring out what your what your strong suits are and what you're best at. And I don't think it's something that people have an answer for when their career starts. I think it's something that develops over time. And, you know, it's probably, I mean, it's probably still developing for me, even though, you know, this is what, 17 years in baseball or however long it's been now. Uh, I think it's something that that's always going to be constantly evolving. So I think those, those are the big things. And when I listen to games and I listen to a lot of play by play, I have satellite radio in my car. I'm always listening to a baseball game when I'm driving home after an Astros game, or even if I'm driving to the park, if it's, there's a day game going on and we have a night game. Uh, I, you know, I, I like the description. I like to, I like the storytelling. That's, that's a lot what I listen for. That's what I listen for when I, when I get demos from young broadcasters, because I feel like that's the foundation. The entertainment stuff will come over time as you get to know yourself better. But, you know, the nuts and bolts being descriptive, uh, I think is, is really where it starts uh, for, for broadcasters. You mentioned working um, with Steve Sparks a little bit, and, and I'm curious how you work with an analyst. And the, I mean, I know there's different ways to do it across baseball. Um, some guys will not use the analyst as much when they're just calling games, um, and you'll you'll hear them very scarcely. Sometimes it's a, a very free-flowing conversation. Um, what's the best way that you have found to play back and forth off of people and and drive conversation and um, and, you know, it's different than football and basketball in terms of using an analyst. And, and that's why I think baseball can be an interesting challenge, particularly because a lot of us come through the minors doing it solo. Yeah, I think that's that was a big challenge for me when I got the Astros job is I had never I mean, I had done some stuff with analysts here and there, but it was a much different situation. And and I really hadn't done any baseball uh, with a consistent analyst, like a true analyst, somebody who had played the game. Uh, and was my equal. I had had interns in Binghamton that were on the air with me, but that's a little different situation because, you know, I'm the the lead guy and this person's the intern. And I had some interns that I, that were very talented, but it's it's not the same dynamic. And so that was something that I really struggled with. And, you know, Milo Hamilton, who I, I basically replaced as the Astros uh, main play-by-play guy, Hall of Fame broadcaster, uh, he actually gave me some pointers early on. And that was one of the first things he asked me when I got the Astros job and got to Houston and met him for the first time was he'd asked me if I'd ever worked with an analyst before. And I told him not really. Uh, and um, I didn't realize how big of a learning curve it was going to be. I think it really helped being with somebody like Steve Sparks who, and we started the same year, Steve and I. Uh, and so I think that really helped because we were able to kind of grow and learn together. Uh, and I think it's something that, I mean, even going into this year, I came into it, thinking about, you know, all right, I, you know, some things that I wanted to make sure I did to make sure Steve's voice was, was heard enough and that his expertise was heard. Because I think one thing that's important, you know, there are things that I, I know about the game and, uh, you know, there's knowledge that I have about the game, but I think sometimes there's certain things that sound better and have more credibility when they're coming from Steve because he played and, you know, he's been around the game for a very long time. And so because he's the former player, I think there are things that come from him that just sound better and 
work better uh, for listeners because they're coming from Steve. So, I, you know, I, one thing I really wanted to work on this year was kind of coaxing more of that out of him and and how'd, making how'd sure that, that. What what kind of tactics did you uh, tactics makes it seem kind of like crass, but yeah, like, you know, what are the ways that you went about setting somebody up or bringing more out and, and letting them shine more? Well, I think, you know, one thing that I had to get better at and had to work on was, you know, I think sometimes there's a, you know, there's kind of an ebb and flow to the way a baseball game goes and the way a baseball broadcast goes, especially, you know, Steve and I have worked together for a few years and I'd gotten to a point where I really wasn't, I wasn't engaging him in the sense that I wasn't asking him as many questions. And, um, you know, I was just, I would just, you know, call the play or talk about whatever, and then just kind of sit back. And if Steve said something, you know, I'd let him go ahead. If he didn't, then I would just go on with something else. And I think I've realized that I needed to do a better job of, you know, something would happen or maybe I would notice something or, um, you know, just even if it's something as simple as, let's say, uh, you know, a guy, a pitcher throws three straight curveballs to a particular hitter and just saying something along the lines of, now that's three straight curveballs to, you know, Jose Altuve. Um, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't really seen a lot of fastballs lately. And then, you know, that, then you're opening up a conversation and, you know, I'm bringing Steve in and giving him a chance to, to maybe uh, expound, expand on that. Uh, and just, you know, just little things like that, asking questions and even questions you may know the answer to. And sometimes the questions you know the answer to that you ask your analysts are the best questions to ask because it may be something the two of you already discussed. And so you already know where he's going to go with it. Sure. Um, and I think that really helps. And, you know, there'll be times, too, where maybe Steve will say something to me between innings, like say an inning ends and something happens and Steve will say something to me between innings. And I'll say to him, like, hey. Let's talk about that next inning. I'll, 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 I'll lead you into it. Um, and so then, you know, we'll come back and he already knows, you know, I'm already setting him up, you know, doing more things like that. Um, because, you know, I, you know, obviously I, I like, I like calling games. I, I like being on the air, but you know, I also recognize I'm part of a team and it's not all about me and I don't want it to be all about me. I want to make sure that my analyst, whether it's Steve, whether it's somebody else that they get a chance to shine as well and be the best that they can be as well, because that's how you, that's how you have the, the best possible broadcast. Let me ask you the quintessential, or maybe it's either uh, all about you or not about you moment. Um, <laughs> uh, tell me what it's like to call the final out of a World Series and how you approached that, um, because obviously uh, it's so monumental that you, you want to get it right, but at the same time you don't want to overthink it because then you're almost bound to get it wrong. <laughs> Well, first of all, the, the World Series in general, I mean, anybody who's involved in baseball, regardless of what level you're involved in baseball, whether you're a player, whether you're a manager, whether you're uh, a ticket sales guy, it doesn't matter what you do. This is this is why you do this, is to be part of a World Series in some capacity. And it is, you know, you, you know going into it, obviously, you, you know, you think, hey, it's this, this would be awesome. But it's, I mean, it just exceeds expectations. I mean, it's its unlike anything else I've, I've ever done and probably ever will do professionally. And then it wound up being a great World Series that wound up going seven games and, you know, two really great teams, really the, the two best teams in baseball in 2017, the Dodgers and the Astros over the, the course of the year. So, and you don't always have matchups like that. Uh, so it was, it was special for a number of reasons. And then you throw in the fact that, 
the Astros have never won a World Series. And I've always been something, and I know there's varying schools of thought on this. I like to react to what's happening. I try not to pre-plan what I'm going to say too much uh, because I feel like my best calls come when I'm spontaneous and I'm just simply reacting to what's happening. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the entertainment factor, because I feel like I'm more entertaining when I'm just reacting as opposed to maybe if I'm scripting something out. And for some broadcasters, it may be different, but for me, this is what I feel works best for me. Um, so game seven, uh, you know, get the, so the Astros, you know, they win game five, an epic baseball game, 10 innings, you know, winds up going well into the night and just a classic world series game, you know, 13 to 12. And so, you know, the Astros go in the they're going to LA game six with a chance to win the world series. And I remember, I don't really get nervous before games, but sometimes I get anxious if I'm just, I just want a game to start. And I was as anxious as I've ever been before game six, because I just, I like, let's, let's go. Like, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's do this. Like, let's, let's see this happen. Same uh, way. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just really anxious. And so, you know, Astros wind up losing game six. And it was funny because as soon as game six ended, there was this sense of calm over me. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to call a game seven of a world series. No matter what happens, this is going to be amazing. I mean, first of all, you get a chance to call a world series. Incredible. Now I'm calling a game seven. Um, so I was just, I was so relaxed and, you know, and of course you have people ask you, well, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, anything can happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but anything can happen. It's going to be fun. And so you know, game seven rolls around and, you know, the Astros jump out to an early lead. You know, Springer gets on base early in the game, scores, then winds up hitting a big home run. They knock you Darvish out early and, uh, you know, basically are able to, I mean, I don't think you ever really cruise in a playoff game, but they came as close to doing that those last few innings. And then Charlie Borton was just outstanding for the final four innings. So, you know, we get to the ninth inning and, um, you know, I'm already starting to think about, okay, this, this is going to happen. Um, and remember the first batter of the inning has, you know, has, has a, sees a few pitches, makes an out. Then next guy comes up, uh, you know, makes an out. And so then I'm thinking, all right, we're, we're two outs and I'm already starting to think about setting up, setting the scene and setting up just kind of the, the, the moment that's potentially about to happen. So I'm thinking about all this and kind of just processing in my head, you know, what I, what I want to bring up, what I want to talk about and just kind of just setting the stage and Corey Seager comes to the plate and what does he do? He swings at the very first pitch and grounds out and the world series is over just like that. <laughs> and so I was thinking about all these things about how I wanted to set the scene and, and build the anticipation and build the moment and Seager swings at the first pitch and so before I could really blink, it was over. And so again, I just, I just reacted, which is what I always tend to do. Um, and, but yeah, it was almost, uh, I mean, it was exciting obviously, but it was almost like, wait, that, that just happened. Like, wait, this is over. This is it. Um, and, and it was, it was incredible because, of the fact that, you know, you, you're already thinking about all the things you want to say and all the things you want to get to. And, 
Well, you know, hey, thanks a lot, Corey Seager. <laughs> um, were you happy with it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think most broadcasters, and I'm, I'm sure you're this way too, Joel, but I think, you know, most broadcasters are their own worst critic. So, yeah, I mean, could I have done things a little differently? Yeah, sure. I mean, I kind of wish because, I, you know, I said my initial call was, you know, the, the Astros are 2017 World Series champs. If I could have done it all over again, I would have I would have made sure Houston was in there. The Houston Astros are 2017 World Series champions, you know, little things like that. I was very happy with the way I kind of tied a bow around it, because after I I, I said that call, I, I kind of laid back for a little bit. Um, and I probably would have laid back longer if the game was in Houston as opposed to L.A., because obviously there would have been more crowd noise. But in L.A., there, there wasn't quite as much, although there were quite a few Astros fans, of course, who made the trip. Um, but I laid back for a little bit and, and kind of let the crowd noise tell the story. And then I, I came back um, with um, and I, I, you know, this wasn't something I had thought about beforehand. It was just something that that came to me. And I just said, you know, for the first time ever, the Astros are baseball's best. And of all the aspects of that final call, that's the part I was most proud of, uh, because I just thought that, you know, kind of summed up the moment and summed up, you know, what just happened right now. Not only did we just see the Astros win the World Series, but this is the first time they've ever won a World Series. Um, and then and it was it was such a huge moment, obviously, for the city of Houston with everything they went through with Hurricane Harvey that year um, and still recovering from it to this day and probably will be for a very long time. And, you know, just, just everything that, that just took place that, you know, made that season uh, a very, a very special season. Uh, and, um, you know, that was that, that last part was the part of the the final out call that I was most proud of. And probably, I mean, it sounds, and I mean, this is a compliment, like sounds like something you would script. So it just works the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, it's funny because during once the Astros got to the World Series, like I said, I try not to, to script things out too much. Um, and I remember there would be times whether I, you know, I'd be driving or I'd be doing some game prep or whatever it was. And it would pop into my head. What are you going to say when the Astros win the World Series? And whenever I'd have that thought, I'd immediately push it out of my head because I just didn't want to think about it. And then, of course, you have people ask you. Well, if the Astros won the World Series, what are you going to say? And I just, <laughs> I just didn't want to think about it because I just wanted to react. Um, but uh, and I, and you know, all, all in all, I was, I was pretty happy with with how I reacted. Well, Robert, if people want to hear uh, more of you or follow you on social media, uh, how do they find you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, R A Ford Three, is uh, is is my nom the internet. That is Robert Ford joining us here on Play by Play Cast. He is the voice of the Houston Astros. Uh, many thanks to him for taking the time. Uh, cool to hear the perspective of calling that final out in the World Series. And I mean, we talk so many times about scripting a call or thinking about what you're going to say or how organically you handle big moments. Uh, really good approach. And like we said on the pod, um, what happened organically probably came out to be better than anything he would have planned. Uh, previous to that so uh, we've had a couple different guys take a couple of different routes on this podcast and explain how they went about handling giant situations liked listening to uh to how robert uh, went about that and uh, the way that he prepared 
for what was going to be a, a huge moment, not just for himself as a broadcaster and not just for the team, but also for the city of Houston. Uh, so many thanks to Robert Ford for joining us again uh, here this week. And um, as he said, you can hit him up on social media across platforms and uh, reach out to him. If you liked the episode, let him know. And uh, as always, do that for, for all the guests that we have here this week. Uh, that'll do it, though, for this week and for 2018. Uh, hopefully the year was great to all of you guys. Uh, it was a pretty good year for me. Um, looking forward to what 2019 has in store. We'll talk to you then. Uh, January 5th will be our first episode of Play by Playcast for the next year. Another year in the books. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, streaming, downloading. We are out of time. We'll talk to you literally next year here on PXPCast. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.